Hello and welcome to another episode of the Indie Alternative Podcast. It's me, Chris. On this episode, I was delighted to welcome back Will Potter of the band Cud. Will talked about the upcoming 30-year anniversary tour of Rich and Strange, uh, which is about to kick off in October. Um, Also talked a bit about the new single, how the band formed and their musical influences, uh, life on the road and loads of other stuff in between. It was a really fun chat um, and I hope you enjoy it. I'll share links to where you can buy tickets uh, to the shows and also where you can get your hands on their new single. Before we hit the interview, uh, just a reminder that um, you can follow me on social media and all those links, as always, will be in the show notes. Um, If you'd like to buy me a virtual coffee to support the podcast financially, you can do. And a link to that is in the show notes as well. And lastly, if you haven't written a review or rated the podcast and you fancy doing that, just pop over to Apple uh, or whatever app you're listening to it on and uh, give it a rating and a review if you can. It really helps. Anyway, that's it for the waffle. Here's Will. Welcome to the podcast, Will Potter. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Does anybody want to know what day it is? <laughs> well, yeah, we might as well, because it's, it's been a funny old day. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this on the, uh, the day of the, the big funeral. So it's uh, a yeah. bit of an odd thing. Um, yeah, it's been a funny day. Um, but we thought we'd press on because I think it's what she would have wanted. Exactly, yes. <laughs> I think she was a fan of Cud. I, I can't say. I can't say. I don't know. I don't know a taste. Um, but she's always been welcome to a guest list space um you've been you've been busy or you get you're about to be even busier um because you, you've got a tour coming up and uh a, quite a special occasion for cud it's it's sort of come round to 30 years of um rich and strange which yeah we don't like to be reminded how old we are but uh, <laughs> we are in that bracket where uh we're heritage indie so we we need an excuse to go on the road every year so w- when it comes round to that that period um usually half term uh we, we say what came out 25 years ago what were we doing 30 years ago and uh yeah well 30 years ago we were at our height so um yeah we thought we'll celebrate that with some songs from Aquarius and rich and strange of course so yeah and uh, those conversations come about via sort of a, a group whatsapp or something i mean you just say it's about that time again <laughs> uh yeah well, <laughs> It's astonishing uh, how long ago it was that we got back together. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm not sure. 2009, maybe. I don't know. Um, and it was meant to be a one-off, but we had such a great time. And enough people showed up to see us. So we thought, hey, let's do it again next year. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've, we've done pretty much every theme now. We've, we've done every album we recorded in full. We have done a tour where we played every single single um and then we did something we just said oh sod it let's just um do the best ones <laughs> which, which <laughs> normally what we do then is we just throw it out to the fans and say what do you want us to play and th- they just come back with the same list that we were planning to do anyway <laughs> <laughs> this is why uh, sort of social media as well isn't it so getting this sort of facebook following involved is quite it's quite instant as well isn't it this whole new way of doing things yeah i mean now it, it feels really old to talk about when we got back together again being the period of myspace <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, yeah it was weird because we obviously we 
we broke up in about 95, went off and did, um, you know, day jobs or whatever. And then we got back together again in the 2010s, I think, or, or actually earlier, this without Mike uh, playing. And we had to reconnect with our fan base and say, hey, we've come back. And we, would, we had to get um, what was a MySpace page then and reach out to people. And it was very little in terms of music press and music press weren't really interested in bands from our era. They wanted new bands. So it was very difficult to reconnect. Um, but now we have. Now we have a, a, a huge uh, Facebook following and that we can, uh, you know, pester whenever we want and mm. tell them what's up. So now it's good. Yes, we've worked that out. Yeah, and so in terms of rehearsals, then, uh, how far along are you in 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 that respect? Or so do you need to rehearse? Is it sort of like muscle memory now? Uh, there's a lot of that, but when we we decided to play um, songs from Aquarius, there are lots of songs that we don't play play regularly. Uh, and there's uh, there's one song we we're planning to play, uh, which we have never played live, as far as I know, as far as I can remember. Rehearsals are a bit more difficult in that I'm based south of London and the rest of the band are in Leeds. So they have been rehearsing without me for a while. I've provided a set list, which we've pretty much agreed on. And I will rehearse the songs on my own at home and meet up in a couple of weeks time um, and just hope that, you know, I got them right. And uh, we'll just hammer through the set as, as many times as we can fit in over a weekend and uh yeah and that's it the first gig in less than four weeks time now i imagine you're not taking a massive sort of rack of bases with you though i mean you have to sort of key changes and whatnot no there's none of that none of that the old faithful i'm actually talking of whatsapp i've just been on whatsapp with the band now we are doing that last minute tour shopping i need a new bass cab and um you know yeah. adapters and making sure we've got enough gaffer tape plectrums all those kind of things yeah you know we'll get there and say oh shit we need a battery we haven't got a battery <laughs> <laughs> and you get the rider sorted that's the main thing you know get that rider there, yeah the there. rider we've we've got a good tour manager in phil so he knows exactly what we want uh yeah it's not like the old days where you know say hey come up with something ridiculous to stick on the rider to test the student unions we're <laughs> we're, we're, we're more sensible like that yeah, yeah, it's just a decent, decent kettle, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in in the old days, like a, <laughs> we we did have some things on on the rider. Uh, uh, the, the 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 most fun for us, we 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 asked for an item uh, at least a meter long in, <laughs> in one dimension, um, and yeah, we, we just waited to see what people turned up with, and we got a, f- a telephone. You know, the ones that you used to put in the hallways. Yeah, yeah. We got a broken, disconnected phone for her, which was, it was great. We just collected loads of junk. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing what you you could have got away with. And I don't suppose anyone's got the patience for that anymore. But this is a young sort of wild band on tour. These are sort of the little things that get you through it. I'm sure. Yeah, we probably got a reputation of being divas because of that. <laughs> I remember once we thought it was quite um, sensible. We did ask for. Um, four pairs of white toweling socks uh, to be put on the rider thinking, yeah, well, we're on tour. Um, you know, we need clean socks for every yeah. year, but of all the things we ever put on, they were the things that were like scratched off and said, no, we're not doing that. Well, Metallica so, used to do that for them. I mean, I remember watching Metallica documentaries back in the very early nineties and that's one of their main things, tube socks, 
white sports tube socks was a must because they just want to come off stage, freshen up and put some lovely white tube socks on. So it's good for them. It's good for you, surely. Well, you'd think so. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the, the health of the band all crammed onto a, a tour coach yeah. after the gig, you know, sweating and stuff. We, we want some, you know, fresh feet. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how did you guys meet? I know it might be a question you've probably been heard. You've you've been asked many many times, but I've not asked it before, so um, <laughs> I get, I'm going to get away with it. But um, you know, I was sorting up and thinking, you know, what do I know about Cud other than the songs that I knew from you know years ago and the current ones as well? But there isn't a great deal about how you guys sort of met physically and how you decided to sort of you know put music together. Yeah, we, we all met on Tinder. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, it was, well, it Tinder obviously didn't exist then. It was the uh, late 80s and uh, we were students. Um, me and Carl um, met on day one when we uh, signed up. Um, we were enrolled for fine art at Leeds Poly, as it was. Mm. It's been too, it's so long. It's actually been through two name, name changes since being Leeds Poly. Mm. Um, Leeds Poly Fine Art actually has um, a history of supplying musicians like Soft Cell and Fad Gadget and Scritability. So, yeah, I think when we, we joined, we had in mind that we might do music, not just art. And uh, Steve, who became the drummer in CUD, was the boyfriend of uh, a fine artist in the same year. And Mike was doing graphic design in the same year. And the graphic designers and the, the, the fine artists kind of all hung out, shared houses, um, and uh, so you know we, we we just hung out together went to gigs um we started to pester bands like the wedding present and um age of chance went on the road with them filming them mm. and uh started to play around with their own own music as well um, so what, what sort of music were you listening to then and and leading on from that kind of how did you decide on what is quite unique in terms of your sound we had had very different tastes really we weren't even though we were, you know, checking out bands uh, of that um, late 80s period, you know, there's obviously bands like the Pastels or the C86 bands still knocking around. And the music we were listening to at home was more things like um, Captain Beefheart and uh, De La Soul. Um, I used to listen, enjoyed Public Enemy. Mm. Yeah, um, I think Carl, Carl enjoyed a lot of obscure um, Sesame, Sesame Street soundtracks. Uh-huh. Um, we, we like we like bands like The Fall as well. Uh, yeah, Mike had more of a, um, a kind of uh, more of a trad classic rock um, taste. I remember he had bands like The Rolling Stones and Nine Below Zero, um, By Road on his um, a guitar case for a while. Uh, so uh, yeah, and and kind of like the step, you know, getting that stage presence right that you guys had the energy, and then Carl's kind of um, predating a lot of the the Britpop kind of not swagger, but that kind of flamboyantness. Did you work on that or was that just by accident, that kind of stage presence? It was by accident. We were very lucky with Carl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because he was the bass player originally and I was the drummer. Um, but, um, you know, I wasn't a very good drummer, um, but I could play bass a bit. And yeah. Carl was very good. So we kind of, I think, if I remember rightly, mid-gig, we, I, we just said, Carl, just get off the bass, give it to me you sing <laughs> and uh and we stuck with that and he you know we were very lucky and he had a great voice um but the very first gigs that we did and there's some video evidence um carl was quite shy on stage and used to linger at the back of the stage um 
facing the drummer. Um, but yeah, he, he, he came out of his shell and, uh, you know, he's, he's great with the crowd now and he swings his hips still and has a great deep voice. Um, so yeah, he's, he's an amazing frontman. We were really lucky in that way. Getting back on stage and sort of, obviously you've never, apart from the sort of longish break that you had around 95 to the sort of first reunion sort of things, was it difficult to get back on stage and find those roles that you played or, or did you have to kind of get yourself loose, you know, get back into the kind of swing of doing it live again? No, it was um, automatic. Um, like you talk about muscle memory. It was incredible after, I don't know, 10 years, whatever it was, um, between splitting up and getting back together again, just playing the songs and, oh, wow, I know how this goes. Um, we We just went into Purple Love Balloon and it just fell together really well. Carl and Steve had done been playing some gigs in the meantime. Carl was doing like, well, essentially Carl and his his band shows when they played a few uh, cut songs, um, but they did a few covers and recorded some other stuff. So Carl was still, you know, ready, ready for that. Um, but no, he, he felt very natural um, and he still does. Uh, it's not, it don't get, we don't really get nerves. We, we just like, just get fed up looking at the clock and just eager to get on. Yeah, excited, an excited sort of feeling yeah. to get out there and do it. Yeah, yeah let's, go, let's go on, let's do it. So it feels very natural. There's and, no struggle at all. And those, uh, uh, the, the fan base is still there. But I mean, in, in, the, in the early days, when you were first finding your feet live, did you notice when you started to get a following? Was it quite obvious or was it kind of a gradual thing? And It, it, came, it, it came in like um, steps, really. We... Um, we were very lucky in the very beginning that we got a Peel session before we even left Leeds Poly. We were still students. Mm. And the wedding present um, took us under their wing and gave us a deal to make a record and invited us to play a few shows with them. So that, that the first few months of us being together, the you know, we had um, people interested in seeing us outside uh, Yorkshire. But then it went quite flat for a while. Um, and then you get to... The, the, like about 1990 or 1989, that period of uh, Manchester. And there was a lot of enthusiasm for seeing bands live, especially those that with, a, with a bit of more of a funk edge, dancey bands. Yeah. Uh, and we, even though we weren't from Manchester, we, we had a bit of that in our sound. Of course, we then adopted a, a dancer on stage, but um, <laughs> we, you know, we, we were astonished that then suddenly we were packing out a thousand capacity venues um, and people dancing right to the back. It was a really brilliant time to be in a band uh, because people wanted to see live bands and, and have fun. Uh, that whole lion pop thing. I mean, I've, <laughs> I, I mean, does it sound ridiculous to you now? Because it obviously it's a precursor to to the yeah. The, it's a, it's a, it's an odd thing now. It was the Stuart McConey thing, wasn't it? In Select, mm. there's that um, famous issue with it of um, Select where it's got Brett Brett Anderson on the mm. cover. They superimposed him on a uh, yeah. Union flag, and it's meant to be like the the launch of Britpop. But if you read the feature inside, it's this thing called Lion Pop, and it's um, suede, it's cud, denim, um, Saint Etienne. Mm. Not apart from suede, not a bunch of bands that you would uh, associate with Britpop. But it was an attempt by um, the music journalist to create a scene that was um, to fight against the grunge scene of the states of nirvana and that they said we need to bring back 
um, you know, dressing up um, like fun pop songs. Yeah. Something, you know, British in the, in the vein of the Kinks and the Beatles again. Uh, but it, the name didn't catch, the scene didn't quite catch uh, until, you know, then Blur came out with Park Life and then Oasis followed Elastica and um, then they had a scene. Then, then they came, what did they cut? They came at the, the new wave of new wave for mm-hmm. a while and then they came up with Britpop and that stuck. Um, but by then, Card were yesterday's news and uh, we, were, we, we weren't part of that um, group anymore. I mean, did you have any conversations about uh, at the time about sort of doing something about that? I mean, I don't know what goes through bands' minds because obviously it's difficult when you're on the precipice. You're, well, you've, you're doing really well and then something is take you know the, the 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 music industry goes one way and you were going that way and it just takes a like a, a veering off we we had two problems at that period um one was with the fact we we're in leeds and that was always even though we love leeds and it felt is our home yeah we always felt like the, we were ignored because we were from leeds so when manchester took off no one was interested in leeds it was all manchester bands and then when Britpop took off it was all london bands uh, and our singer did move down to London for a while. He felt that for the sake of the band, he mm. needed to be seen out and about, bumping into journalists, bumping into other bands, um, so he might get written about. Um, it didn't quite work out that way, and he ended up breaking his leg and spending a bit of time in hospital. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that didn't quite work out. And we also um, had a record company that didn't really know what to do with us. So. Um, you know, we, they genuinely had an A&R guy who told us that country and Western was the way to go. <laughs> uh, and they would try to get us to record a more transatlantic album. Our last album was produced by Al Clay and they got him in. They thought he might be able to give us a kind of more of an American sound when we we'd got a fan base, which was enjoying us for what we were with rich and strange and purple love balloon mm. so he came out with this album and the first single off it was like this almost like a metal song um neurotica and they followed it up with a ballad thinking they might be able to get us on uh, radio too yeah. uh, so they were trying to sell us to a completely different crowd and you know we were trying to change our look and try to appeal to different people and it just wasn't working out and you know, Britpop came along, and we 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 didn't look or sound like Britpop um, anymore, if we ever did. So um, we were under so much pressure from the record company. We did split up after a while. Um, soon after, we didn't make another album after that. Yeah. Uh, and now we're back together again. We can do whatever we want and actually sound like we were meant to sound. I mean, obviously, you've you've you're selling out most of the dates of the tour. I think it's all sold out now, or is it? No, no, there's still a few more. Yes. Yeah, um, but... Share the link. There are still some tickets available for some venue. Clearly the fan base never sort of dwindles for, for, for bands. And I know it's it's quite corny to call you a legacy band and your legacy tour and all that, because it, it might seem a bit disingenuous to say that you are a, not disingenuous, but what's the word I'm looking for? It's a bit condescending, I guess, um, because, you know, you're just still a band. It's not, you know, and you've still got a... a a valid audience that's still supporting you. And that's, that, that that's a, a difficult thing. There is the, the issue of being a, you know, legacy or heritage indie or whatever like that, where you're touring every year or so and just playing um, 
uh, you know, just juggling the songs that you had 10 years ago. Mm. Uh, and, and when you've got day jobs, it's very difficult to find the time to to write a whole new album and record it. And, and we do feel we have to justify it, our existence to, a, to an extent. And so um, I, 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 I can reveal that we have a, a new single coming out um, later this month. And we had one out last year. So we're still writing and still recording, but not at a great pace, really. We, mm. we don't get enough time to hang out with each other and record. So we tried to justify our existence in that way. But uh, yeah, a lot of it is playing to the, the old crowd and playing the favourites. And, and they, um, they wouldn't let us um, leave the stage if we didn't play certain songs. This new single and, and, and writing new music together, how does it work then with your, with your away? I mean, obviously it worked. I mean, I'm, I'm just... It works very much in the, yeah. uh, the way it used to work. In the, uh, Mike, our guitarist, is the key songwriter. He's, he's just amazing. And when I talk about the period when we were um, uh, on a major label and being pushed in to, to write a certain kind of song. Mike was under so much pressure and we demoed does, like uh, maybe about 20 songs, uh, most of which were never released. Um, but they also felt a little bit compromised, a little bit different to what we were happy, mm. uh, happy with. So when we got back together again with Mike, he um, presented some new songs. And they just sounded like classic cud. And they're the ones we really enjoy playing. And we're very happy to release. So, um, yeah, Mike comes up with the tune, um, pretty much the whole thing. Carl comes up with some lyrics. We play through it a few times. And, yeah, if it, if it all hangs together well, we'll go and record it. And recording-wise, I suppose with the technology now, and uh, sounding really old, but you can send files to each other and just do it remotely as well. I mean, it's not that we that could, sort of... but we haven't we haven't done that. Um, yeah. We still do prefer to book a studio and be there. Yeah. We um, well, obviously, we do send files back and forth, and you know, especially for me, being separated from the rest of the band, I have to spend some time trying to work out how to play the part um, the mic sent or play along with something. Um, and then I will, you know, the, it sometimes it's very difficult where I meet up with the band the day before we go and record the song. So it's, it's, it's very stressful uh, for me to, uh, you know, not having played through the song very much before we actually record the definitive version. Yeah. But that's, that's the way it is. This freedom that you have to do, like you say, put new music out when it's convenient to you and, and you know, it's there if your fans want it or they don't. And I guess that's probably quite a nice liberating way to look at it all, really. Well, it's common to the music industry now, isn't it? That most bands don't actually have a record deal. They, uh, you know, the, 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 there aren't, there isn't the money going around. Mm. And uh, most bands are now reaching directly to fans through social media. So uh, they don't need a record label. So yeah, we, we, save some money from the tour uh we we spend it on recording put out a record and sell it directly to fans and so getting uh hard hard versions of it as well as the sort of um digital versions is that still something you're you know you're keen oh to yeah absolutely to uh we I, I i was sent um i'm sure it will actually be shared on social media before this goes out but today i was sent um a video of them, them packing our single in the pressing plant and uh, they were playing playing it in the background so it's a great little um uh snippet uh a teaser for the yeah. actual coming out yeah i saw that 
this evening as um, literally about like half an hour ago i think they've shared you shared it to your facebook page but yeah that's, that's, they've done it oh, I, I didn't know it had already gone yeah it's gone, <laughs> it's gone out thinking oh that's new <laughs> yeah that's, that's great great so i'll uh after this i'll share it myself you've got vinyl and that i mean it's a rare it's you know having vinyl at all on on time and on target it must be frustrating. Uh, well <laughs> yeah we we're aware of this and so um you know we we booked it into the pressing plan a long time ago it's very difficult for um smaller bands like us uh where you know we're just pressing you know thousand or something like that that uh we're bottom of the, uh, the list so yeah if um this like um the beatles are putting out a revolver box set with four vinyl albums on it you know they jump to the front of the queue um yeah. we have to wait uh for the uh the, the spare bits of vinyl off the cast on their floor <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah we have to you have to plan it months months in advance it's crazy isn't it is there's such a cottage industry why 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 do you think that is i mean i don't know um is it is well, it it's like... because it took off it was uh, most of the pre- the vinyl pressing plants closed down went out of business and then when suddenly vinyl became popular again there wasn't enough um you know there wasn't enough space for it there were there, i think there's a there's a new place opened in middlesbrough which i think we may be using um that uh you know opened up in the last couple of years but they don't have the capacity for the amount of vinyl special editions and remasters half speed masters all these kind of things that are coming out yeah and, and then uh, you yeah, you're going to you go into hmv and you see it's weirdly it's now mostly vinyl not cds now. it's strange isn't it but also there's also the different weights and the different um environmentally friendly vinyl and you know the lightweight versions of the albums and stuff that people are keen to get as as well but that's more and more difficult to manufacture and for bands you know like you know i should say smaller bands doing small releases just not yeah, we, be cost effective we, we did the, the last one we decided to do the um um more sustainable colored vinyl which was basically pot look color uh where it's <laughs> like the dye leftover dyes at the end so of course we so of course some of them came out like a pale blue but most of them came out uh, like a turd brown <laughs> <laughs> not I ideal i don't think we're gonna bother with that now we're just gonna go for the black <laughs> keep it simple um rem rem are releasing um uh sustainable um vinyl it's not i don't think it's actual plastic it's some other material um uh, i don't know maybe it'll disintegrate or in a, a year's time or you can eat it i don't know it's, yeah it's a weird thing now we do we do vinyl and we do a download but we don't do cds uh we may at some point decide to compile all of the um, releases we've we put out over the last few years onto cd uh, we have been promising a new album for a long time, um, but um, it was actually because of COVID that mm. we decided to um, release a single last year and say, you know, we haven't got the album finished. We've got X number of songs, but let's just put out something this year to fill the gap because mm. um, we're not touring. We're not able to tour and uh, you know, let's, let's give something to the fans who are stuck at home. I'm just really disappointed uh will that geezer's not supporting you for the tour you would have thought that would have been a shoo-in i don't know i think they feel that we should be supporting them <laughs> Is that it? that's that's the kind of attitude of the singer uh yeah. typical plus you know when when the full story is told you'll you'll discover that it's it will is very difficult to get the band back together again because of various fallings out 
Yeah. Well, I, I received the first part of the documentary and it was very, very enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you. When are we looking yeah. for the next part? Or is that, uh, is the, that next, the... the next part? The next parts are all written. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, cool. It's just a case of um, getting Philip Bond um, primed. He's been working on um, Foo Action at the moment, which is this uh, um, bringing together of some Jamie Hewlett artwork and story that uh, was incomplete had been published by the face years ago okay it's just about i spoke to him last night and he's just about finished that and should be focusing on geezer part two very shortly mm. and um we are gonna we we're all getting together for um, thought bubble a comic convention in harrogate in november which is in the middle of the tour ah. tour so um we'll promote geezer then we've we've got the t-shirts we'll we'll sell some extra copies and uh uh, we have some other things planned for Geezer as well, not just uh, the comic. So mm. hopefully we can get those things um, moving very soon. It must have been a, a, like a, a great, um, I say, sense of achievement to see it physically out there and posting it out after sort of you know, the hard work that you guys put into putting it together. And the finished product is, is such a nice tactile thing to have. Oh yeah, I love comics. And in the early days of Cud, there was there was always a problem with um, with me, um, where you know I thought I was going to be a comic person, uh, not a musician. And, <laughs> um, when Cud weren't doing great, I was going to comic conventions trying to drum up business. Uh, when Cud was going well, uh, I didn't have time for comics. Um, mm. And now I can do both at the moment, and uh, it's very I'm very happy to be able to do that. And it's very funny doing um, a music-based comic as well. Obviously, I can use my experience in CUD uh, to tell Geezer's story. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of places that in Geezer, a lot of, uh, that we went to, a lot of, you know, even though we weren't a Britpop band, we did go to The Good Mixer and we mm. did hang out with Graham Coxon and we, <laughs> we did do some of the same shows and meet some of the same DJs and stuff like that. So, yeah. It's uh, it's nice to put that little bit of realism in there. But will will a card appear in a in the second part in, in one of the parts of the documentary? That's what I want to know. Um, I'm not sure. Hmm, I'm not sure. <laughs> there, there, there are a few um, Easter eggs in there. There's a card badge. Um, there may be something there. Um, actually, in terms of card and comics, uh, 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 so we are me and Philip are planning to print the card comic. I don't know if you're aware of this. We before Geezer, we collaborated on a, a title called Cud Rich and Strange, which was published in um, a title called Black Crown Quarterly in the States. Um, it was a strange mix of um, Cud biography um, and um, had had me and Carl, um, much older versions of us, locked away in an old folks home. Um, so it was a kind of cross between uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and <laughs> the Cud biog. And it was printed in like short sections, but now we're going to reprint the whole comic in one and sell that on the tour and um, at uh, Thought Bubble. So that'd be that'd be nice to have a have a complete cut comic as well. Oh, amazing! With Philip's wonderful artwork. Yeah, it is cracking. It just said. Well, I mean, it just fits the the genre and everything brilliantly. It's so it's so so well written and well drawn. Will, it's been fantastic to to speak to you. Um, I, I should let you go to just carry on a little bit of mourning. Just to, because uh, <laughs> I need, I need you to, me. Um, Yeah, I, I, we're very lucky in a way, obviously, that um, the way is we could quite easily have been on tour at this point and had to cancel. 
all yes. to wear uh, all black. Uh, and now <laughs> we talk, it's, we've got a few more weeks. I hope we will be allowed to make noise and dress up in um, some vibrant colours. Yeah, just don't hold hands on stage or anything because you're you know the, the right no. for me to be on you like a shot. We've never done that. We're not happening. <laughs> good luck with everything. Good luck with the single and good luck with the tour. Um, and Thank look you. forward to um, hearing the single and uh, uh, and and part two of um, the geezer. I keep calling it a documentary because I'm trying to trying to keep it real. <laughs> it, it is real. Martin believes it's real. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks so much, Will. Take care. All right. Take care. Thank you.